Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. So please read with me the verses in bold on the screen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us here this second Sunday in Advent. As we look back on 2023, it might be safe to say that it's been another difficult year. The year began with a shooting in Monterey Park after a Lunar New Year celebration, and not the only, but succeeded with numerous other shootings around the country over the last several months, including a shooting at Covenant School, a school in our denomination in Nashville, Tennessee. There is continuing war in Ukraine, and perhaps there are other wars that you may not have ever heard of, but there are smaller countries engaged or embroiled in war. There was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Turkey this past year. There's the war between Israel and Hamas. There's rising cost of everything. Used cars seem to be just as expensive as new ones. Breaking news, people. Everything is terrible. <laughs> well, not that much was different during the time of Isaiah the prophet. If we wound the clock back across the centuries, uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ, you might say the same about their situation. When all seemed bleak, when it seemed like a difficult year. Everything about the context of Isaiah seems dark. The last verse of the preceding chapter, chapter 8, ends with these words. He writes, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. To give you a little bit of context, the people of God by this point 
had been divided into two nations. There are, are the, again, of the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 tribes to the north, which would be considered the, the northern kingdoms of Israel, and the two kingdoms in the south, the kingdoms of Judah, or the kingdom of Judah. And of these two tribes, or these two uh, kingdoms, again, if you were part of our last sermon series on the Minor Prophets, Assyria, Israel's neighbor to the northeast, were a constant thorn in the side of Israel and would eventually conquer and destroy and take them captive. And Judah later on would be captive, uh, taken captive by their neighbors, Babylon. And so if you can imagine Israel, a small nation of 12 tribes, and these surrounding great nations, powerful nations to the north and south, would take them captive. Well, there was a particular situation, a kind of international turmoil that was transpiring in Judah, the southern kingdom. And again, the king of that time was King Ahaz, uh, who uh, succeeded King Uzziah, who was mentioned in chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah writes. I looked up and saw the throne room of God, right? You know that, uh, that text. But again, if you know that situation, King Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom. But to the north, Israel had formed an alliance with Syria. Now, I'm giving you some history, but there's Israel forming an alliance with Syria. And so Judah on the south, because of alliances that the neighbors of the north were making with Syria decided either we can make alliances with them or we can make alliance with other foreign nations like Assyria. So Isaiah comes to King, to King Ahaz and says, no, we shouldn't do that. We should trust in the Lord. But what does King Ahaz do? He forms an alliance with Assyria. He pleads with Ahaz, not to get behind anyone, rather he tells them to forsake all of these worldly alliances and instead look to the Lord, to trust that the Lord is going to deliver Judah from international threats near and far, just like he has always done throughout history. Can you imagine what must be going through their minds, the minds of the people of God as they listen to these prophecies concerning their own fates? Now, again, mind you, as uh, Isaiah writes the prophecy, it's 11 years before, before all of this unfold, unfolds. This is the prophecy that Israel or uh, that uh, Isaiah brings to Israel and to Judah and says, don't make alliances with foreign nations. And perhaps uh, you can imagine what must be going through their minds as they listen to these prophecies concerning their own fate. Perhaps questions like, is God truly sovereign over history? If the godless nations are stronger than God's nation, does might make right? Do the powerful always win? Or what is the role of God's people in the world? Or does divine judgment mean divine rejection? What is the nature of trust and obedience? What is the future of 
David's monarchy or the Davidic kingdom that God had said the throne of the greatest king in Israel's history would never end? Or are not the idols that the foreigners worship, are they not stronger than God and therefore superior to him? We have questions like that too, I think. It doesn't come the same way as the people of Israel in that time. We have questions like that too. Perhaps many of us approach the end of the year with a heavy load of worries about the future, questions about career or health, family, church, marriage, financial difficulties, unfulfilled dreams, all sorts of questions that we wonder if next year will simply be much of the same. As you come this morning, is that your story? You've come here this morning and you can say in the depths and recesses of your heart and experiences and emotions that it feels like darkness. Is God good? Is God loving? I love that. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is God superior than our greatest worries and anxieties? And as far as Israel is concerned, the text, again, talks about this darkness. It feels like it's always winter, a time of gloom and a time of despair, an overwhelming, engulfing darkness, a darkness that destroys, a darkness that chokes, a darkness that robs us of our breath. And sometimes it feels like that. In Isaiah, the text describes God's people as living in desperate times. Israel experiencing the gloom of anguish and distress. God's people are walking in darkness and dwelling in the land of deep darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 tells that they're living in deep darkness. The same word translated in Psalm 23 as the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. The people in Isaiah 9 are not merely passing through that awful place, but they've made their home there, the shadow of death, their home. There's much that's wrong with Israel, and there's so much wrong with what's happening in our world today, and there's perhaps so much brokenness to what we experience daily or weekly or monthly or seasons But let me tell you a little bit something about the book of Isaiah. Did you know that there are more than 400 quotations or allusions from the book of Isaiah in the New Testament? Or did you know that of the 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, 47 of them are referenced somewhere in the New Testament? The only Old Testament book that's referenced more in the New Testament is the book of Psalms. Isaiah. It's no wonder that we would draw from the book of Isaiah for this season of Advent. The first Advent, the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago, and the anticipation of the second Advent and the return of Christ for his church. You notice in our text this morning, the very first verse of chapter 9 
begins with this conjunction. But. Because up to this point, uh, chapters 6 through 8 are extremely depressing. They're dark, and they talk about a gloom. Uh, 11 years later, you'll be taken into captivity by your enemies. And for southern kingdom of Judah, 70 years will be captive to the Babylonians and then the Persians. And, and finally, under the Persians, they'll let you go and come back and, and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls of the city. But six through eight, uh, darkness and, and, and bad news. And then all of a sudden, in verse one, Isaiah the prophet begins with the word, but, but to contrast everything that has been said before, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And that's the whole point. They may dwell in darkness, but Isaiah is bringing a message of sweet, sweet grace. He's bringing a message of gospel tidings. Into the darkness, he's shining a light. Into the engulfing clouds, he speaks of one in whose face will shine the very glory of God himself. They've seen a great light. He's speaking as a prophet, of course. They haven't seen that light yet. That light is in the distance. The light is down through the corridors of the centuries that will follow. But as a prophet, he speaks in faith and he says, those people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Yes, the future looks bleak. The future looks terrible. The future is about war and devastation. But friends, look again. The light is shining. And in that light will be deliverance. Deliverance from sin. Deliverance from the consequences of sin. Deliverance from hell. Deliverance from the wrath of God. Deliverance from the downside of the judgment to come. But... Friends, that has to be, I think, one of the greatest words in the Bible. The word but. Because it always comes at just the right time. In the right places. When God tells us about something awful, usually because of their own sin, he follows it with a, a but. <laughs> I should probably use a different word. But that's just how the gospel works. That's just how God works. He contrasts it. There's a reversal of circumstances. We are unfaithful, but God is faithful. We're sinful, but God saves sinners. We live in darkness. But a light is coming. We live in these dark days, and it's easy to be discouraged. In the former time, there was gloom, but in the latter time is glory. From gloom to glory, that's the gospel. Israel prophesies that a great reversal of circumstances will take place. The people suffering in anguish and loss due to death will instead begin to multiply both in numbers and, and, uh, and consequently in rejoicing. 
Isaiah tells us that the coming light will transform their constant warfare into permanent peace. The coming light will put an end to the power of his people's oppressors. And the light will bring a complete victory over enemies. That warfare becomes a permanent thing of the past. So the question is, how will this be accomplished? The good news. In verse 6, Isaiah says and describes a person with four names. His name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor is a word that's as close as you can get in Hebrew to calling something or someone supernatural. And Isaiah is saying that uh, he is supernatural, possesses all wisdom. And again, I think the point of Isaiah's prophecy is that the wonderful counselor is in contrast to King Ahaz, who has no wisdom, who trusts in human wisdom and forming alliances with pagan nations. And again, it's going to be proved disastrous for Israel. And again, uh, uh, Isaiah says, a child will be born to you who is a wonderful counselor who is going to possess heavenly wisdom. Mighty God, a profound, uh, again, profound in his counsel. He has the power to accomplish what he wills. He is God Almighty, the warrior, the one who fights for you. He is everlasting father, not just a distant God, but a personal God. The Prince of Peace. If you remember in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace. Or Colossians 1.20, God reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in in heaven. You see, what God does is He answers our anxiety. He answers our worries with a manger in Bethlehem. There we find the baby who brings us peace and one day will bring peace to the whole world. Don't miss this about Christmas. Christmas was and is birth in the middle of great grief and anguish and distress and heartache and difficulty and bad news. In Matthew chapter 4, as we speed our way into the future, 700 years from the time of Isaiah, Matthew beautifully shows how this passage points exactly to the truth of Isaiah chapter 9. Matthew tells us that this passage is to fulfill something that was written over 700 years before. When Jesus, having come out of the, out of the wilderness where, he was, uh, where uh, he was being tempted by Satan, the first verse of chapter 4, he comes to the city of Nazareth, and he departs from it into Capernaum, where? Into uh, the Galilee of the Gentiles, into the land of Zebulun 
and Naphtali. That's the first verse of chapter 9 of Isaiah. He preaches the gospel. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 4. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 700 years later. In verse 15, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, and there's that word again, on them a light has dawned. The good news is that a light has been shown. The light who had been prophesied 700 years earlier has come in the form of Christ in a manger as a baby. And Jesus, uh, the, the words of uh, Matthew, the, the disciple, uh, records these words for us and says, those dwelling in the land, uh, in the region, a shadow of death, on them a light has shown. I think I did say the most important word is the word but. But let me back up and say there are three other important words for us to, to grasp here this morning. I think uh, perhaps three important or significant words that we find in, in verse 6 are these. For to us. It makes the gospel real. Because it isn't just a story for those 700 years before the coming of Christ. And certainly it isn't just for those who witnessed the coming of Christ in the New Testament. For unto us a child has been born. My friends, for you and also for me, for to us. Us. 